You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's your boyfriend now, Nancy. It's Jeff McLarge. <laughs> hey, I've had my eye on Nancy for a while. <laughs> Who's Nancy? She's a Nancy she's, who? She's a cutie. She's nice. Her and her boyfriend just uh, just broke up. It wasn't working out. She wants to be a journalist, and he turned out to be a raspberry milkshake. Apparently. Oh, well, that's a strange relationship just in general. Yes. What's going on? How are you? I'm all right. This is the weirdest Memorial Day in a while. Yeah. I, I think it's actually weirder now than it was last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as Memorial Days go. Last year, everybody was just terrified of one another. And, you know, we sort of got together, but it was a small, small amount of people. And, right. and food eating was like, I don't think I want to eat anything i didn't cook myself right. can you hear me the doritos no no <laughs> yeah. right exactly hey have you got beer i only brought beer for right. me <laughs> you know so it's weird this year it's been way weirder so like first question is like well you know we haven't all been vaccinated and uh i'm not sure and geez i'm not really co- it's like i'm not really comfortable and i like kind of like not being around people and it's i ended up staying staying home all weekend yeah. there's I stayed home. <laughs> I, I, it's like Memorial Day. You know, there's always a post on Facebook, and rightfully so, where they're like, "Hey, you know, it's not about cookouts. It's about remembering, you know, the people that died in the wars and stuff like that." And now Memorial Day is kind of like remembering what Memorial Day used to be like. <laughs> yeah, it can be about cookouts for a couple of years. Yeah, I think. we um, <laughs> we got so we can definitely want those to come. Yeah, back. we got real used to the social distancing. Uh, so now, yeah, just a just a slow rollout of starting to trust, you know, being around crowds and stuff like that as, you know, as things progress. You know, that's for some people. I know some people that never stopped once right. doing anything. You know, I don't wear a mask. And blah, 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 blah. Right. It's like, yeah. okay. I still, I still like doorknobs. <laughs> yeah, okay, great. Good for you, right? Yeah. Yes. I still share my popcorn with strangers. <laughs> The, the best thing that came out of this, like we're always looking for the silver lining on this show, yeah. right? So the best thing that came out of this was that this is the first time I didn't have to have somebody go, hey, Jeff, what are you cooking for yourself there? And I'd say, oh, black bean burger. And they go, black bean burger? Ugh. And I start to channel Tim Curry. I wasn't making it for you, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to make you eat. I'm a vegetarian. Yep. Take your hot dog and go away. That's you know? Yeah, that, that's like that thing like pineapple doesn't go on pizza. It's like, look, you're that's, assuming. It does on my goddamn pizza, right? I like pineapple on pizza. Yeah, you're assuming that I'm sharing my pizza with you, which is. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Which is a really <laughs> bold <laughs> statement to be making, yeah. Right, exactly. I didn't say it was our pizza. <laughs> I said it was my pizza, right, exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh. like I wasn't mad. It's not yours. I'm not going to make you eat it. That's like people, you know, give me shit the way I eat my steak because I, I was brought up on well-done steaks. I, I'm sure your, your slightly warm cow is delicious, and that's fine. But don't give me shit about the way I eat mine. You're not eating it. Just because you like yours like beef jerky doesn't mean it's not good. Yeah, I, I like beef jerky when I, when I used to eat it. Yeah, I like beef jerky fine. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why people are so concerned with that. Although, I'll, like, I'll tell you something. If I'm going out to eat with you and we get buffalo wings and you're like, oh, I just want the mild sauce, I will make fun of you until the night is over. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember doing that. I remember saying that. To, I remember making fun of people for that um, a lot when we were out as, as younger men. Yeah. I want the wings so hot that I want to be rushing to the bathroom while I'm still chewing. That's right. that's the kind of heat that I work with. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'll, I'll go halfway. I'll go halfway there. I like it to have a little spice to it, but the last thing I want to do is feel like I'm in a contest. You know, like it's me or the wings. Like I don't have to. I'm a I'm a grown up. I don't have to eat these. I can say these are too hot. You know, and no one's gonna say. But I, you know, there's children in. Some other country that don't have enough food to eat, so eat the wings, Jeff. And I'll be like, but mom, they don't taste good. And she's like, I don't care. You eat what I cook you. I'm an adult. I can be like, hey, these are too hot. You know, can you get me some more sour cream or some other something else to put on this so that I don't burn my face off? And more beer. <laughs> Thank you. Taste. The tip will reflect, right? Um, taste is for wimps. I like my whole head to go numb. I don't even want to taste the wings. Sometimes I eat the bones by mistake because everything's numb. All right, so let's get the show rolling. But before we get the All show right. rolling, my award-winning and always very popular trivia question. Who is the only woman? Now, there's a lot of talk about we're going to put Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill sometime soon. Yes. Uh, but she would not be the first woman to appear on a U.S., we'll call it a banknote. Uh, the, the hint for you is it wasn't a, a dollar bill. They were called silver certificates at the time. So who oh, okay. who is the first woman to appear on a U.S. banknote? So paper currency for you, you uh, layman out there. Paper. Well, that's gonna that's gonna take out Sacagawea, and that's gonna take out Susan B. Anthony because right. they, they were just were on coins. So, uh, well, anyway, you know, I'm gonna think about this until the end of the show, All right. and then I'm gonna guess, and it's gonna be wrong. And you can all laugh at me. So this is the week beginning May the 31st. And because it's a holiday, I'm going to let you start. Why don't you start this week? I appreciate that. All right. Well, May 31st, 1961. Rock and roll grandfather, Chuck Berry, the man for upon which I think all of rock and roll ultimately is built. Yes. Opens his own amusement park, Berryland, in St. Louis, Missouri. Cool. Yes. Very cool. He opened it for the... Best reason ever. Almost like it's out of spite. Chuck Berry couldn't get into country clubs and he wasn't allowed in spas because he was an African-American and he was in Missouri. Mm -hmm. And he had enough money. He had what I like to call f*** you money. <laughs> so he's like, I'll open my own. And he did. Nice. And it's no, it was known for having a giant guitar-shaped pool and places to picnic and amusement rides and other goofy stuff. And it lasted for, I don't know, Something like 10 or 12 years, maybe a little bit longer than that. You'd probably be and, wise uh, before using the restrooms over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to look around for, look around for cameras. Yeah, yeah. The, the way it worked was uh, is if you went there and, and you happened to run into Chuck Berry because he was known to sometimes show up, show up there, you could play with his dingling. 
Anyway, um, there's, there's a photo sure. op. Yeah. One, my favorite thing about Chuck Berry is that song still gets played a lot on satellite radio. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always funny. And I've heard it literally since it came out in 1970, and I still laugh at it every time I hear it. Yeah, I, I like Chuck Berry. Um, I really like the song No Particular Place to Go. And because it's the exact same song as his other song, School Days. <laughs> he it's definitely like, had a formula. Yeah, it's uh, like, it's like, you know, like the next song. It's like the kinks with like, you like that riff? Because we're going to do it a lot, like a real lot. You're going to be hearing it often. No amps are safe. We're going to cut them all. I like the stories that of how he used to tour. Like he would just get booked into an arena and tell the arena or the or like the theater owner, find me some local guys. That's my band. Sure. And then <laughs> the theater was like, oh, God, my God. So he's going to find session session players. Yep. And they're like, what are we doing? We're like, you're going to be playing with Chuck Berry. And Chuck Berry would be like, all right, I'll just tell you what song we're going to do. And then we'll start to play it. And then he'd leave, yep. no doubt, playing with his dingling. And then he'd come back right at showtime. And he'd be like, all right, one, two, three, no particular place to go. And <laughs> everybody had to know it. Oh, crazy. It's not all that different from the scene from Back to the Future 2, where he just right. says, oh, yeah, it's a something-something chord progression in the key of E. Right. Follow me for the changes. Follow me for the changes. Yeah, that's Rock exactly the way he used to do it. Yep. Nice. You know that new sound you're looking for? <laughs> this is Marvin, your cousin. <laughs> all right, so moving on to June the 1st, 1975. <laughs> U.S. President Gerald Ford completely eats down the steps of Air Force One after arriving in Austria. Proving <laughs> that no matter where you go and who you are, gravity is the law. Yep. So, yeah, General Ford was uh, notorious for being clumsy. He was a bit of a, a, a klutz. Very famous footage of him coming down the stairs out of Air Force One. Here we I mean, it's not even like anywhere, like, it, he's in Austria. He's in, like in a foreign country and just... Right. Just doom, doom, boom, 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 down the stairs. It was referenced a lot. You know, um, Chevy Chase on Saturday Night Live used to impersonate uh, President right, Freud, right. and he would always just, like, be falling over something. My, I think my favorite one, when he was putting up the decorations on the Christmas tree, and he just, like, fell and took the whole tree down with him. <laughs> no problem. And, um, you know, the police, right? Yes. You know the so song? The band or the, or the <laughs> yeah. organization that arrests people? Uh, the band. Oh, yeah. I, I am familiar with them. Yes, I've heard of them before. Yeah. Uh, do you know the song Born in the 50s? No. Yep. They actually referenced Ford falling down the stairs in that song. Yeah. It's a huh. it's a, it's a a weird piece of American history. Just Yeah. That's that's how Chevy Chase ultimately ended up. Hurt. Like, he hurt himself, right? He had some, like, long-term, some long-term injuries from throwing himself around as Gerald Ford on Saturday Night Live, too. Right. If I remember my like biography of him or interviews that he did in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Not just that. I mean, it was just, he did a lot of Pratt falling right. and stuff. And uh, Chevy chase is not like a small guy. He's six. Yeah. He's like 11 feet tall. Yeah. He's like, he's yeah, he's like six, four. He's a big dude. Yeah. Yep. Like three Paul Simons. According <laughs> to that video. It's like, like a Smurf is three apples high. He's three Paul Simons. <laughs> yeah, three Paul Simons, each one standing on the other's shoulders. Yep. <laughs> All right, so next uh, up we have June the 2nd. Take it away. June the 2nd, Kraft, 
the company, not Kraft, the space, but Kraft, uh, uh, building on the original idea for American cheese food, and I'm saying that with air quotes, uh, rolls out this <laughs> something that still exists today and that I'm cooking with tonight, Velveeta cheese, which is not cheese. <laughs> it's a confection made of like powdered milk and oil and salt and I don't know, voodoo, witchcraft and, and the souls of itinerant children. But it <laughs> is inten- very good intentions. The road <laughs> to intentions. hell is the road to hell is paved with Velveeta. That's right. That's right. Follow the yellow brick road, you. But it's like the stuff that makes nachos taste good, and it's the stuff that makes macaroni and cheese taste good, and it melts better than cheddar. And it used to be cheaper than it, but it's not anymore. It was originally. This is hilarious. Velveeta was originally like marketed as a health food. Yeah. All the bad foods from the early part of the 20th century were marketed as health foods. <laughs> All of them. Oh, <laughs> it radiated TV dinners? Yeah, it's healthy. It's radioactive. It's been fortified with uranium-235. Like, Yeah. Can you see them, like, in court? It's like, well, we didn't say good health. We just mentioned health. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. There's no value judgment on the health that we're talking about. Uh, it should say right on the box, like, you probably shouldn't eat this. Yeah. If you want to split hairs about it, sure, yeah. It is. It's, it's, it is to cheese what the stuff is to, <laughs> like, to yogurt. You know, I don't know if the audience remembers the movie The Stuff, where things bubble out of the ground and people just start to eat it. But it's, a, it's weird, and it's definitely an acquired taste, and it's wicked salty. It's like the spam of cheese. Yeah. You know, outside of maybe, like, some sort of macaroni and cheese... Craft dinner. That's it. Craft dinner that I may have bought once or twice. I don't think I've ever actually had Velveeta. I've seen it. It looks disgusting. It has the texture of like overly warm wet play doh. It smells sort of like plastic. Yeah. If it has a smell at all, it's just weird to work with. But again, it you know it's not meant to be eaten in its unprepared form. Like it's not meant. You don't just cut a slice of it off and go like, oh Velveeta, because it'd be like. You ever see those videos of like, you know, just like different countries of people like eating what they eat, and we just think it's like, oh yeah, I've, I we have think seen it's those. like the weirdest like, thing. Like, yeah, like Mongolian tribesmen eat five hot dogs from Coney Island. It's like, what? Uh, okay, but I have seen the videos like that. No, on YouTube, I'm talking yes. about like, uh, like, have you ever heard of the hundred year old egg? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. You, you, it, balut. Uh, no, balut is something different. The hundred year old egg is like. They bury an egg, not for a hundred years. They bury it, and it like turns black and stuff like that. Like it gets this like viscous jelly to it, and it's a delicacy. They they yeah. love it. I, there was this Vietnamese dude at my work that used to have it. And balut is actually a duck egg with a partially formed embryo inside. Now, yeah, now all this stuff is like, you know, for us. Meanwhile, my friend at work was like, "You're grossing out on this." Yet, you guys eat cheese from a spray can. <laughs> Look, at least the cheese is probably not fertilized. <laughs> probably. Right. Depends, on, yeah. depends on how much I want the cheese, I guess. Yeah, this, uh, this culture is just famous for making food that isn't food, like Jell-O, for an example. <laughs> I, I like Jell-O. I freaking love Jell-O. And, and, yeah, because it's super easy to make. I have a, and- I have a mold for Jell-O that looks like a brain. Okay, we talk about rabbit holes, right? I, like, I'll watch people making, like, 1930s, 40s, and 50s recipes today, and they're like, oh, it's tuna salad and lime jello. How freaking weird is that? <laughs> and they eat it, and they're like, it's so weird. And all I can think of is, like, I should make that. 
<laughs> that looks really good. <laughs> I bet that tastes really good. Yeah, there was that weird uh, pocket where like everything was made in Jello. I remember seeing like like Fruit yeah. Loops cereal just like submerged yeah, in Jello. There's all kinds of weird, weird ass stuff. That... What the hell are you doing, you plaid pants wearing maniac? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on to June the 3rd. Uh, June the 3rd of the year of our Lord, 1970. Oh, speaking of the kinks, Ray Davies of the kinks travels round trip from New York to London and then back to New York to change one word in the song Lola. Yeah. He had to change the word Coca-Cola to Cherry Cola because the BBC has a commercial ban on, uh, on reference to... Product, you know, product uh, names. Yeah, it's a, a ban on commercials because uh, it's a publicly funded system. Sure. So that's you'll hear two different versions of it depending on where you're listening or what record you have. Right. The American release of Lola versus the Power Man in the Money Go Round, which is the album that that re- that song is on, has Coca Cola. Yep. The single is Cherry Cola because the single is the one that got played on the radio. Right. I yeah. I'm more familiar with the uh, the Cherry Cola version because I I don't. I don't think I've actually heard the album version. I think I've only heard the song on the radio. Whole album is awesome, yeah. by the way. And most recently, Ace Frehley, formerly of Kiss, put out an album of all covers. And he does Lola, but he, he says the original. He says uh, he says Coca-Cola. And it actually caught my ear. I was like, no, Ace, it's Cherry Cola. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Uh. No, it's it's not though. That's that's. Good. I have to go listen to uh, to his cover of it. I've listened to his cover of Space Trucking, which was okay. Yeah, yeah it's th- that album was okay. There's uh there's a there's a few shining stars, and uh, what a what a time to be alive. What a different time. The the storyline of Lola song is he meets a young lady at a a bar named Lola, and Lola turns out to be a transsexual. Oddly enough, given the time of the, you know the song that was written, uh, he doesn't seem too bothered by it. Yeah, it's really <laughs> inclusive. I've actually gone back and listened to it and been like, you'd think this would be a problematic song when it came out, based on when it came out, but it really isn't. Right. And it's never, it's like, uh, what's the phrase that my girlfriend uses, judgy. It's never, it's never judgy. Right. It's just like it's it's like f- f- tongue in cheek funny, but it's never in a any kind of a mean way. It's never punching down. Right. It's that rare song that can walk the walks the fine line, but never treads over. Yeah, I think that's I um, think that's why it remains. Like you still hear the song, yeah, not 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 just on satellite, even on terrestrial radio, you'll still hear it. And I and I think it's be, like you said because uh, even though it's a you know it's a touchy subject and it could be problematic, it's not because. Yeah. It's like okay, that happened, you know. And, and, you know, it doesn't go all crying game about it. It's just you know, <laughs> definitely one of the better songs in their catalog. And I, I think that they're underrated as far as like the bands from the British Invasion years go. And they've been—I mean, they're still touring. They're still playing out. Yeah, when they're not trying to murder one another. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on to June the fourth. <laughs> June the 4th. Oh, is this a good one by chance? <laughs> one of my favorite events to talk about, and we've actually brought it up on the show in the distant past. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's that's the nature of the show, Jeff. <laughs> it is the nature of the show. It's why it's so much fun to do it. So June 4th, 1974, Cleveland Indians versus the Texas Rangers having a second game after a pizza-throwing fight in Texas ended in a, f- a forfeit. The Indians throw 10-cent beer night 
at <laughs> Cleveland's at the stadium in Cleveland. Twenty six thousand people show up, and a riot breaks out in the uh, continuously. But in the ninth inning, the fans storm the field, and the, and the Indians end up having to forfeit uh, a five five tie. There's a million terrible things that happen at this. One, whoever's idea, well, it was the owner's idea to sell beer at 10 cents a cup and limit it to six cups <laughs> at a time. At a time. Not even six cups total. <laughs> right? Six a- cups at a time. Oh, <laughs> all right. So, all right. So this is obviously pre-COVID era because you'd have to walk with like your fingers in the beer. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or you just stand there and power drink them right there and then get six more, right? right. It's not like people are going back to their seats. I guess the typical attendance at the stadium for any game was about 5,000 people yeah. for any game. And 25,000 people, five times as many people were there. Right. Um, colleges, like, emptied out and radio stations promoted the hell out of it. And a ton of people were there. People kept streaking on the field <laughs> and running on the field. Throwing bottles and pizza and all kinds of shit at the players and yelling at the players and stamping on the dugout and starting fights. and It was bananas. At one point, Billy Martin, who was the manager of the, I think he was the manager of the Cleveland, the Texas Rangers, told his team, all right, boys, grab the bats. And they, <laughs> and they ran out to, like, rescue a guy who was being beaten up in right field. And, like, they're out there. The Cleveland Indians came out and they put, like, they formed, like, a defensive circle around the Texas Rangers to help get them off the field and stuff. And it was, it was insane. There are some amazing videos where people talk about their experiences there. And there's a really funny episode of uh, a podcast called The Dollop that gets into the real details. It is such a funny story uh, and well worth a listen and, and some research on your part, <laughs> above and beyond what we do here at Twibley. But, yeah, awesome, oh my- awesome story. Soon to be replaced with 50 cent whiskey shooter night. Right, whiskey. Bring your own guns and alcohol <laughs> night, yes. And you'd think that they would learn, but no. Baseball doesn't have to be a boring sport. <laughs> it requires the fans yeah. and lots of alcohol to change that. Laws vary from state to state. And now I live in Massachusetts. We don't even have happy hour in Massachusetts. That's it's that's illegal. You can't. Can't be happy in Mass. Yeah, all. no, certainly not. No designated hours of happiness. So when we, you know, we started like going out to different places and stuff like that. And I remember being at this one club in Providence, Rhode Island called Confetti's, where for about 10 minutes on a certain night, they had free beer. (laughs) Yeah. If you can get to the bar and trust me, you couldn't, they would pour you a free glass of beer. (laughs) Yeah. It was a freaking madhouse over there. Wow. It didn't get out of control like there wasn't any fights, but it was just like, to me, it wasn't worth trying to get a beer. I was like, I'll, I'll pay for it. I'm still stuck on like this no happy hour thing. You don't have happy hour in Massachusetts? No, that's illegal to have uh, drinks at half price because it, it promotes uh, drinking. Why do you guys do you guys have happy hour in New Hampshire? We, we don't even have to wear motorcycle helmets and safety belts in New Hampshire. <laughs> we have happy hour that lasts three hours. It's, yeah, every day, every hour is happy here. <laughs> I mean, I'm not one who falls into the sort of libertarian, you know, live for your die aspect of New Hampshire, but like happy hours aren't bad <laughs> and cheap beer is good. It's a good thing. Happy hour, no helmet laws, no seatbelt laws. Maybe they should change it to live free and die. <laughs> yeah, only a couple of years ago, we used to sell cigarettes to kindergartners. We don't, we don't do that anymore. We make it, we make them at least graduate eighth grade. <laughs> We're not animals, you know. All right, let's get on to the 5th, June the 5th, 1952, the first boarding event televised nationally is a boxing match 
I thought for sure it would be Tencent Beer Night <laughs> the motion picture. No. Um, yeah, it's uh, Walcott versus Charles boxing match. Uh, Jersey Joe Walcott. Every time I do these things, I just think of uh, the naked gun. Tex Colorado, yes. the Arizona assassin. <laughs> yeah, he fights out of Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So it's Jersey Joe Walcott beats Ezard Charles in 15 rounds for the heavyweight boxing title. So yep. imagine that this is the first sporting event. Not just the first boxing match, the first sporting event ever televised to be seen right. on a television, and it's a 15-round drag-out boxing match. You'd think that they would focus on, like, the, for the first thing they're going to televise, something national, yeah. that it would be something that had a structured time frame so they could build a schedule around it. But, like, <laughs> boxing isn't like that. It no. goes until it ends. Right, yeah. Or, or 15 rounds. They yeah. hit 15 rounds, I guess. So imagine if it had been, like, a second-round knockout. It's like... Yeah, like a Tyson fight, right? Somebody call, somebody call Lucy and Lucy and Desi Arnaz and get them to the studio because we got to go live in yeah. five minutes ago. You know, an hour and a half long wrap up show. <laughs> let's let's have an interview with uh. Hey, you come here, <laughs> this guy. What did you think? Wow, well, by golly, I'm I'm here for the ten cent beers. <laughs> Boxing on TV has had a has had a definitely a long history and and it's it's it was longer than any other sport. <laughs> Boxing was the the impetus for the original idea of pay per view. I think it was Mike Tyson's camp that did the first pay per view, right. and then I'm sure Don King Don was King, behind right? that. Yeah, yeah, King King Productions, and I think it was probably like a, less than a year later was it got picked up by like WrestleMania, and yeah, and that really sort of helped to to make those sort of national not invitation only but national events a thing on television and it took a long time to get there I, I remember staying up to watch leon spinks and muhammad ali i remember staying up to watch Hagler and hearns i remember like yeah, there, there used to be boxing on hbo like the big fights were yep. on hbo i remember that yep. yeah yep hbo and then later on showtime and then they had their own like boxing programs and their own camps and other stuff like that. it's not as popular now it's kind of been well i mean this last year or so has been crazy you know but yeah. but before even before that, you know, more MMA and UFC stuff had been a lot more popular than boxing. But uh, I was just watching something about Mike Tyson's punch out game for the NES, yeah. and they were yeah. talking about you know just how like boxing was insanely popular, you know, during the seventies and eighties. It still draws giant crowds. It just right. it's just different now, and it, it's less localized. So there's more competitors from around the world. It's tied closer to the Olympics and stuff. Well, I mean, it's the it's the original sport. I'm sure Ugg and, and Grog were over there, you know, beating each other up for you know for cash and prizes. Hell, there's even a boxing or a wrestling kind of a fight in the first book of the Bible. Uh, God, God won. He cheated, but he won. <laughs> I can I can see the two guys standing outside the cave. Ook, want to throw rock? See who throw far? <laughs> no, let's punch each other instead. Oh. I like the way you make the rules change, and that's the that's how it started. Prior to that, you know, sports would have been like on the radio. That's interesting because it still exists. I remember whenever I worked at the gas station, there was a guy that used to li like if there was he was so addicted to every sport, so he would like have it on the radio so he could listen to the game. You know, while there was no cars and stuff, listening to basketball all year is like squeak 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 shoof. <laughs> Squeak, 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 squeak. Like, I, like I honestly, I wanted to like switch the, the radio over and just like sneak in a cassette of like K-pop music or something and see if you could tell the difference. 
<laughs> that sounds like BTS. It's the Celtics. Oh, wow. I had no idea. <laughs> Did they win a Grammy? <laughs> no, but they uh, they win the playoffs last year. And they've actually had, like, golf on the radio. I know that sounds like a joke, but, man, you got to really be I, into something. Yeah, you better have some really good announcers if you're going to be doing golf on the radio. It's like, and it's going down the fairway. So, uh... All right, I'm going to crack this book open that I've been reading it, you know, before I fall asleep because it's going to be 15 minutes before he walks over there to where the ball landed. And uh, here we are at chapter 10 of Moby Dick. Nice breezy day, yeah. All right, let's wrap up the week on the 6th. June 6th, 1933. Possibly the wisest man in the world uh, opens the very first drive in theater in Camden, New Jersey, taking two, America's two great loves, King Kong. <laughs> which came out in 1933 and making out and driving around in cars <laughs> and rammed them together and said, you know what? I know you like parking. It sucks. And then you got to like walk into the, th- the theater and get popcorn and find seats. And the people next to you might be loud. And like, who wants that? Just stay in your car. Or oh, this guy's yelling at the screen, right? Right. This guy's yeah. That's Don't right. go in the cellar. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but uh, the first one opens and came to New Jersey. It's an immediate hit. The idea takes off like a rocket until, I want to say like the the early part of the 1970s is when the driving craze started to s- sort of tamp down a little bit. But there were driving movies literally in a- almost every town in the United States. Oh, sure. It had its own like run of films that that would play just the driving market. It was where like Grindhouse Cinema and other stuff really got a foothold. There was two, just like in our local area growing up, there was one in Fairhaven and there was one in Dartmouth. Now, the one in Fairhaven closed first. Which, I, yeah. it's like a dump now. I think that's where the, the landfill is over there now. Right, right. And uh, that one closed first. Well, it wasn't too great before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that one closed in the late 70s. And then yeah. Dartmouth, which is a Walmart now, that one was open until, the, I'm going to say the mid-80s. I was, it was the mid-80s, yeah. yeah. And I think in Dartmouth I saw Superman 2 and Wolfen. So huh. I saw Meatballs 2 and I think it was Muppets Take Manhattan. Gosh, yeah, Bill. yeah, and, and the best part about it was I didn't even go with like my parents or nothing. I went with like neighborhood people, and one of them happened to have their license. Oh, nice. Yeah, he was like a little older than us. So yeah, but nice. yeah, Meatballs Two was like one of the weirdest sequels I've ever seen in my life. My parents took me when I was really little, and we went to see uh, the Boatniks. The what? The boat. It was a Disney live action movie. I swear to God, called the Boatniks. Ooh. There was one other, it was a double feature. I don't remember the second feature because I fell asleep. Yep. But I watched The Boat Next. And I remember eating pizza and, and popcorn in the backseat of my dad's like Pontiac Grand Prix. Yeah, uh, Disney live action cool. films in the 70s were kind of tough. They, they, they were not great. Yeah, Drive-In Theaters actually made a huge comeback uh, last year you know, during the heart of the pandemic because, you know, people wanted to go and do things and there had to be ways to do stuff. So there was a lot of pop-up drive-in theaters. Uh, my Haunted House, we couldn't open in the capacity that it's it's kind of hard to scare somebody when you have to stay stay six feet away from them, you know? Yeah, you just get, you just get closer. Hey! Hey, 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 yeah. hey! That's more than six feet, buddy. <laughs> you know, one of us came up with the idea of, well, why don't we do drive-in movies? You know, because we got, you know, a pretty good-sized parking lot and stuff like that. So we showed movies. We showed two movies a night. We had our monsters roaming around the parking lot and, like, knocking on the windows and scaring the crap out of the people while they watched the movies. It was a huge success. We sold out just about every night. 
Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of nostalgia that goes into yeah. it, and even for, for people who have never been to a drive-in movie. Right. Seen them referenced in movies or talked to their parents about them or whatever. And, and be able to go and have that experience right. is definitely a draw. Yeah, there was definitely a nostalgia factor. You know, nostalgia because we were showing, you know, class. We, we had a mixed bag of classic horror movies. You know, we, we did some really old ones, but we also did like, uh, we say this word a lot, the golden age of horror, you know, the 1980s and stuff. But we also showed some modern ones like The Ring and stuff like that, too. Right. Did you show The Boatniks? No, we did not. Damn. We had the Apple Dumpling Gang, but we had to cancel that oh, night for weather. That was the other movie that I saw. Was that it? That was the one that was with the Boatniks. Yes, it was the Apple Dumpling Gang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, drive-ins. Um, let's hope that we don't have to do that again <laughs> this year. Here's, here's looking forward. Here's looking up your old address. All right, so let's move on to the celebrity birthdays. May the 31st, 1976, the highest paid B-movie actor there is out there, Mr. Colin Farrell. Ah, yes, I remember him as that guy. Yeah. uh, Bullseye in uh, Daredevil. uh, That's the thing. It's like he's usually the best thing in what he's in. Yeah, that's true. He's, but he's in garbage. Exactly. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. Like, he was the best part about that Daredevil movie. He's the only part that I can remember liking. Um, yeah. I don't miss. Yeah, he was He was good in that. Um, people may not believe me, but I really liked the remake of Total Recall that he was in. Uh, I, I liked it because it was more of a sci-fi movie and not just a vehicle for Arnold Schwarzenegger to say corny lines. Well, he was also the remake of uh, of Fright Night, that oh. is best forgotten. Oh, I, well, I'm not a fan of the original uh, anyway. Gah! Really, you don't like the original Fright Night? You know what? I th- find that hard to believe. No, it's true. Uh, Fright Night's one of those movies that if you see it as uh, a 1980s teenager, you have the nostalgia factor that we just talked about. But I saw it recently for the first time, like over the past couple of years. Yeah, that movie's boring. Um, oh, I, I took my kids to see it. In the cinema, no, they loved it. I saw they saw that one. I took them to see Better Off Dead. I took them to see a couple of other ones too, yeah. uh, but no, they really liked it. Uh, also, uh, Colin Farrell, have you ever seen the phone booth? I have. I like that movie. I thought I, that's a challenging thing to do. We're gonna make a whole movie that takes place in a five foot square. You know? Yeah, that was that movie was like almost made by mistake. It's like a joke <laughs> movie. Like, wow, we got Colin Farrell signed up, but we don't have a script. What are we gonna do? Well, we don't have any other actors. We got one camera. What do we do? Yeah. It's uh, it's almost like it should have been a one a, a one act one act play. A one act play at a community college. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, next up, right. June first, nineteen thirty six. The British illustrator most known for the, doing the art on Pink Floyd, The Walls, record jacket, uh, Gerald Scarf. Ah, uh, his his work would also be uh, showcased in the film version of The Wall, directed by Alan Parker. He's done a lot of work. I guess he's really good friends with Roger Waters because uh, he's done work with uh, artwork with Pink Floyd before. Uh, he did their tour program for The Dark Side of the Moon. Yep. And, uh, he wrote out the lyric sheet for Pink Floyd The Wall. And if you notice, if you look at the album cover for The Pros and Cons of Hitchhiking, oh, that's his handwriting again. Yep, it is. Yep. He's got the handwriting of a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, it, it looks like he holds the pen in his butt cheeks and does the... <laughs> Watusi to write stuff. <laughs> he holds it like if you ever see chimpanzees, like <laughs> yes, when they give us something to write, which is ah. Uh, speaking of crazy people, 
<laughs> June the 2nd, 1740. A man by the name of Marquis de Sade. He's a French obscene author. And he's the guy that we get the word sadism and sadist from. We get them from him, from his name. Uh, Mr. Desaad is uh, best known for his erotic works, combining uh, philosophical discourse, pornography, and violent sexual fantasies. Yeah, his stuff is definitely out there. He's the analog equivalent of everything at Pornhub. Um, I don't know if you've ever read his stuff, but it's it's interesting. Like, because there's salacious things in his writing, but there's a lot of like smart stuff tied around it. I don't know. I read Justine, and I read 120 Days of Sodom, and I think Philosophy of the Bedroom, and I've I love I liked all of them, and they're weird and they're gross and they're like American Psycho type weird yeah, and gross. Yeah, I was about to compare them to Brett and Ellis. But, yeah, but they're super interesting and accessible. I've only read one set of translation, so I, I can't say that they're all that way, but. They're definitely interesting, and his stuff was suppressed because his writing was also like sort of taking the piss out of the monarchy, and and he was a rabble rouser for the revolutionaries of the French Revolution, who ultimately came and busted him out of the Bastille at one point. His stuff was always considered super subversive, and it was rippingly popular when it was out. He didn't do so well himself, our friend uh, Marquis de Sade. Uh, Napoleon had him arrested for his novel, uh, Justine, the one you just mentioned. Uh, he was imprisoned without a trial, and then he was eventually committed to a lunatic asylum, as they listed here, and he stayed He stayed there until he was dead. Yeah, he lived a good long time, though, like 74 years, which, you know, that's like twice as long as you typically lived in. That, that's like the life expectancy now, not, uh, not, yeah, <laughs> right? not 250 years ago, right? No wonder his books are so long. <laughs> <laughs> yep, stay perverted, kids. Uh, it's, there you and, go. That, that and some Velveeta will give you a nice, long, healthy life. Uh, there you go. Ooh. All right, next up. June 3rd, 1929, TV game show producer Chuck Barris, the father of the newlyweds show, and for Bill and I especially, the gong show and the $1.98 beauty pageant. Yep. He is one of my heroes. I, I love that man. He never wanted to be the host of the gong show. And if you watch like the first season, he's real kind of like uptight and he was out there with a tuxedo and stuff like that. But by the time he gets to like the third or fourth season, he is just completely let loose and it was a party atmosphere over there. Yeah. And uh, I don't even think they were booking actual acts by that point. It was just like anybody who was near the show was like, I want to do something dumb on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Oingo Boingo got their start on that show. Yeah, yep. I remember. Yeah, Mystic Nights of Wango Bunga. I remember that. I actually remember watching that at my grandmother's wow. house. Chuck Barris actually he wrote the song Palisades Park. That's a little, uh, yep. a little uh, lesser known fact about the guy. Really funny is he wrote his memoirs called Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. It's kind of controversial because I think what happened was while he was writing the story, he got bored, so he just started making up stuff about being like a, a CIA operative and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, did you ever see the movie version with Sam Rockwell? He plays Chuck Barris in the movie? I did. I did. I liked it a lot. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the fourth. That's my day. Hey, look yep. June the 4th, 1969, uh, Saturday Night Live alumni Horatio Sands. Oh, hey, look at that. Yeah, he was the first Hispanic cast member on Saturday Night Live. Uh, probably best known for not being able to hold a together whenever I was just gonna say yeah every time him and Jimmy Fallon would have contests oh, to see who could my God. screw up and laugh hysterically instead of do it delivering their 
their lines. Any uh, any sketch with those two in it, you know they're gonna start like just cracking up. My I think my still my favorite is the one where Lindsay Lohan was the host and he was they were at Disney World and it was a, a Debbie Downer sketch yes. and he's laughing so hard he's he's like he's wiping his eyes yeah. and drying his eyes with the pancake. Yeah. The <laughs> pancake. Yep. Have you ever seen his Elton John impersonation? Yes. It's hilarious because he's way bigger than Elton John. Horatio Sands is a, a, a chubby individual. But somehow, with the wig and the glasses, he somehow looks exactly like Elton like John. Elton John, yeah. yeah. He has the same same like head that's shaped like yeah. a cement block. Somehow similar features, even though he's like so much bigger than Elton John. Yeah, very, very, very funny guy. All right, go ahead. Next. June 5th, 1954, Michael, Nico, as uh, we all know him, McBrain, the drummer for Iron Maiden, who's been the drummer in Iron Maiden since, I think, Peace of Mind, right? Yeah, uh, Peace of Mind. Second record, right? Second record uh, with Bruce Dickinson on vocals. Right. Number of the Beast was Bruce's first, yep. and then Nico came on board. And he was like a prop guy for the tour on the Number of the Beast tour. Yeah, and, uh, he's uh, actually in the video. He's yeah. actually in the video for Number of the Beast. He's the devil. Yeah. And uh, he knows exactly one drum line, but it doesn't matter because <laughs> <laughs> because it's a good one. he yeah. makes it. It's a good one, and he makes it work in every song. And as for the amount of shit that we talk about bands that are old um, and that have been around for a really long time, and sometimes are coasting on how people remember them, Iron Maiden are still putting out friggin' amazing records even today. I was just sure. listening yep. to this to the Book of Souls which is like two years old now, three years old now. And before that, The Final Frontier, another fantastic record from 2015 or so. Just awesome, awesome stuff. With the same drum line as everything in Peace of Mind for. All right, and wrapping up the birthdays, June the 6th, 1947. I referenced him earlier on. Uh, you know him as Mr. Fred Krueger, Robert England. Oh, hey. Yep, June also- 6th, 1947. I also know him as that guy that was in Ford Fairlane, whose name I can't remember. <laughs> he didn't have, no, it was like, it, Smiley, he didn't have a name. Oh, see that? Good. I, I don't feel so bad now. Yeah, the character didn't have a, uh, have a name. Uh, Dice Clay just kept calling him Smiley. And like his big line was, ow, 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 ow. That was about, that was about the long and short of his. Uh, he, he's his another name. guy that's like, he's a, he's pretty much a character actor who fell into West Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street and, and rode that train as long as you could ride that train. Like went off and he did like the Phantom of the Opera movie, yeah, which was direct to video but was pr- kind of all right and took weird character parts. Remember, he was in V, yep. he was in the miniseries for V, and then he, he was on the TV series, I think, for the first season too. V, V was the one where the, the space aliens came down and were actually lizard people. Oh, it's where know. literally where Alex Jones gets all of his mythology oh. from. <laughs> And he was one of the visitors. That's what the oh. V stands for. And was sympathetic, became a, an ally of the human resistance fighters. Honest to God. I didn't dream that show. And I never yeah. had like a, an illness that made me so feverish I would have dreamt it. But he was in V, yeah. And Alex, yeah, Alex Jones has, has built a career around it, yeah. Poor guy. Yeah, poor thing. I got to meet Robert England at one of the cons, but it was more like I was going into the elevator. He was coming out of the elevator. He's um, he's tall. He's a tall oh, guy. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. Yep. And um, how do I? I want to segue into a worst song ever here. The worst song ever. It's a down home folky song. Tell us about it. All right, so 
I'm going to tell you the song first, and then we're both going to argue, and then that's that's oh, how it's going to roll today. It? It's going to be one of these, yes. Okay. So this song got pitched for the war song ever, and I'm like, you know what? That song kind of sucks. And then as I was listening to it and researching it, I'm like, all right, I can kind of see why this song was popular. It's called Me and You and a Dog Named Boo by uh, a guy named Roland Lavoie, who is performing under the name Lobo. Lobo, because it's Spanish for wolf. I had a similar experience. I remember them advertising this song. Remember the KTEL record commercials? I would, certainly do, because this would, was on all of them. Yeah. yeah, and they would play like five-second clips from each song, including the hits, and they would just go, me and you and a dog named Boo. And I was like, that, even as a child, I was like, that is stupid. So I remembered one time about, I like, the just the name of the song, which is so dumb. And I said, I wonder what that song actually sounds like. And I listened to it. And your experience was listening to it like, oh, this song isn't so bad. And my experience was this song is worse than I imagined. Like the rest of the, <laughs> the, rest of the song is somehow worse than the chorus. And again, as I researched the song, I found myself like appreciating more of it than I would have had. I just sort of stumbled into this on satellite radio. But like he ended up with that dumb line. Me and you and a dog named Boo that became the title because he was trying to rhyme you and me and was having a hard time building a chorus around it. I wanted to say me and you, but that's not grammatically correct and needed to find a way to make it work. So I guess All right, like hold he on. was walking around. Pause. Yep. Pause. Pause. Okay. Let's let's play a piece, right? Yeah. No, yeah, let's play a piece. Let's let's play this God forbidden chorus here. He made us work. My big problem with this song is is that chorus because right. now the story of the song is this this couple and they're gonna drive cross country and not have a job and they say the term live off the land more than once in the song that whole like Jack Kerouac romanticizing about just kind of like living free spirit and all that. The problem I, the big problem that I have, I have a few problems, but the big problem I have is me and you and a dog named Boo. That dog is irrelevant to the rest of the song. They don't even mention the dog. I don't know what breed that dog is. I know nothing about Boo other than he came along for this incredibly boring road trip. Furthermore, if he's only there to complete the rhyme, the words you and me are monosyllabic, okay? You're not, it's not a hard word to You get two vowel sounds, E and O. There is literally a dictionary full of words that rhyme. <laughs> yes. Yes. Again, uh, I, I can't argue with your logic. Um, <laughs> I can't argue with your logic. Your logic, logic is this, flawed. Your logic is flawed. This is the ni- early 1970s where superfluously sticking animals into pop culture seemed to be the norm. So don't forget... <laughs> This is the same time period where Me and the Chimp was on TV, <laughs> and later BJ and the Bear was on TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, birthday boy for this week, Clint Eastwood made two movies where he was outacted by an orangutan. Yes. So anyway, me and you and a dog named Boo. Yeah, it's a it's a sort of uh, remember that time we went cross country and stole food from people and got chased <laughs> by farmers with shotguns. Song. 
Isn't that great? Let's do that again. Now we're tied down to being grown-ups. It sucks. And it seems to fit the, the weird time period after the, the end of the Summer of Love and the beginning of the winter of our discontent that came after it. Roland Lavoie, Lobo, was able to parlay this song into a ton of hit records, or, or songs that charted at least. Yeah. One of which is very good. The, the follow-up to this one, I'd Love You to Want Me. Great song. Yeah, it's a good song. Um, uh, but he falls into this category of not great music. It's soft rock. Like, technically, that's really what it is. And it's sort of a mix of, like, super bland country and really bland rock-esque music and really bland non-confrontational folk music. And, like, the tradition of, like, the crooner slash teen idol stuck in there. You sprinkle in some nostalgia for something a few years back, and you get soft rock. And you get bands like, you get Lobo, and then you get other stuff I like to refer to as garbage, like (laughs) Bread. Remember Bread? Yes. Uh, England Dan and John Ford Coley, who ruined um, Utopia's Love is the Answer. The Eagles without Joe Walsh. Uh, Helen Reddy. Carpenters, like all this stuff that's just like terrible, nutless, soulless music for an audience that now are so old that they, they still they still listen to music from the 1950s. You know it, what I mean? It, yeah, it's, it's music for people that hate drums is what it is. <laughs> music for people that hate music. It's like, yeah, it's like background music. Yeah. It's like, not, it's not even good background music. It's like background music for the second unit if you were making a film. Yeah, for craft services. Going, going back to the subject matter of the song, there was this whole like romanticization, which is a really hard word for me to say, about just like like you know free spirit living off the land. It's kind of what we refer to now as being homeless. Yeah, you know, like the yep. you know the the people at the end of the uh, the highways with their signs and stuff like that. All right. Uh, uh, speaking of money and having money and people on the uh, on money, my trivia question earlier on was who was the first woman. To appear on American paper currency. All right. And I'd like to say, good night, Jeff. Uh, uh, <laughs> who was the first woman to appear on American paper currency? Yep. Oh, knowing the way that our country tends to treat our history, I'm going to say it was probably either. And can I do an either or? Sure. It was either Martha Washington. Ding, 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 ding. No more callers, please. We have a winner. Oh, my God. Was it really? It was Martha Washington on the 1891 and 1896 $1 silver certificate. She and George. I want you to know I pulled that answer directly out of my ass. Nice. Well, here it is. And George, uh, yeah, her and George Washington appeared together on the 1896 $1 silver certificate. Yep. Huh. So, yeah, Martha Washington was the first female. Yep, yep, yep. Martha Washington. You go, girl. (laughs) You be on that silver certificate. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this week's show. We will see you right back here next week. I wonder what a silver certificate dollar is worth now. What are they just like? Hey, obviously it's supposed to be like you turn it in and they give you dollars worth of silver. Yeah. They must just show show you a picture of silver now. Like that's what you got. Yeah, well, you take a look. You should take it to the bank and trade it for gold, Bill. Gold. 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 There's gold in them there banks. All right. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Special thanks to James Cosa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly. This week was way better last year. 
You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.